So you're going to have a child that has a very regulated nervous system compared to one that doesn't have a regulated nervous system because you don't know how to do that. So therefore you can't teach your child how to do that as well. Hello and welcome to the Feminine as Fuck podcast. I am your host, Monica Yates, the period whisperer, a trauma healer, and an embodiment coach for both men and women. Well, obviously periods just for women. I am a double Sagittarius, a rising Gemini, an Enneagram 8, and a generator. I know it's a lot. I'm here for it. I help women to get into their magnetic as fuck feminine energy and for men to feel ecstasy and intimacy. In these episodes, I love to talk about things that people are thinking but too afraid to say, as well as educating you on everything that I know in this brain, body, and soul of mine. You can find all the ways to work with me on my website. And with that, let's jump into today's episode. Hello friends, welcome back. If you have not heard the exciting news, the tickets for my 2023 immersion are open right now. The waitlist has been open since Monday the 17th and the public is open today on the 19th. So I am very, very excited for all of you guys that are coming. A reminder that I will not be doing another Melbourne event. Um, I put a sticky up actually on my Instagram stories the other day being like last week being like, where do you guys want the 2024 one? And like some people commented, like, it's fine if you did, but just like, I'm going to bring something to light. Um, some of you guys commented saying like Sydney or Perth or like Auckland, which is like Australia, New Zealand, blah, blah, blah. Guys, if you live near Australia, just fly to Melbourne, just fly to Melbourne. Um, that is my advice on that. <laughs> The reason why I say this is because I will not be doing another event in Australia uh, anytime in the next four, five, six years. Like I don't, I honestly have got no plans to be doing one in Australia anytime soon. Um, so if you can come, come. Like make a holiday out of it. You've got plenty of time to tell to tell work or to plan your calendar accordingly. Um, if you live in LA or on the West coast of America, it's one flight to Melbourne. So if you haven't been to Australia before, make a trip out of it. Um, and if you, um, are near Australia, then definitely fly to Melbourne. We're going to make a trip out of it. We're coming over for a couple weeks. Um, my boyfriend has, I mean, he's been to Australia before for like 10 seconds when we went to quickly go surprise my family for 24 hours, 48 hours. That was not the most, it was an amazing idea. Like, and it was the best thing that we ever did, but like, fuck me dead. Did it ruin us? I mean, he got food poisoning after and I got the worst UTI in my life. So I'm like that in and of itself, just it's, it's a trek. So I know it's a trek, but make a trip out of it. Go to Queensland, go to Hamilton Island, go to Hayman Island, see the Great Barrier Reef or what's left of it. Um, go to Sydney, you know, do the whole, a whole shebang. That's what we're doing. So, uh, yeah, if you live in Australia or live near Australia, you need to fly to Melbourne. I will not be coming to another city in Australia um, anytime soon. So just get a flight. I know a bunch of you have already booked your flights. They're not that expensive, especially if you've booked them in advance. Um, get a Jetstar flight or whatever that's like cheap. Go down for the weekend, come back up, boom, done. Um, okay, but today, more important, not more importantly, but as importantly, as the event and getting your tickets, which are only a thousand dollars off until November 11th. So you need to buy your tickets before then, or they might even sell out before then. Um, obviously manifesting that they sell out. They've already sold out by now. So we'll see what happens. There is nearly 300 of you on the wait list, or I guess there was by the time this podcast is out. Um, 
and there's only 60 tickets available and you guys know the price, you know, the location, like there's no surprises coming. So I am very excited for a killer, killer event next year. So let's jump into today's episode. The topic is about how parents can prevent trauma. Now this I'm like, I've been asked, I can't even count how many times I've been asked this in my DM. So save this episode, mark it down to re-listen to, or share it with your friends note this one down for when you do have kids. Like this is just something that I think everybody should be aware of. So we're going to dive straight in and uh, yeah. Okay. Let's just dive straight in. (laughs) I'm like, I don't know what else I need to say. Okay. So the number one thing that I want to mention is that no matter what you do, your kids are going to have trauma. Like the end it doesn't matter how perfectly you raise them, how much you make them feel loved. Like you will obviously reduce a lot of trauma. You will, you, you obviously can reduce, you know, the chance of them feeling like they're not loved or they're not good enough or they're not deserving or they're not enough. Like you can reduce all those things, which I'll go into in a, in a little bit. But the main thing that I want you guys to all understand is that trauma doesn't just come from like a intense traumatic incident. It actually really comes from the perception that you have in the moment of the incident. So for example, if you're, if you as a kid walked into your mom's room with a a present for her, like a drawing, let's say, and she was, she screamed at you to get out, you could take that on board as I'm not accepted by mom or mom doesn't love me. When literally it was just that she was like shoving a tampon in and you will came in as a kid and it was like, Oh my God, get the fuck out. Right. (laughs) Just to keep it real. Um, and so what happens is that like, she didn't mean anything nasty by that. She didn't say that you weren't loved. She didn't say that she didn't love you or that you weren't enough or that you were in trouble or anything like that. She just got startled in the moment, but you perceived it as mom doesn't love me. I'm not enough. I'm not deserving whatever it is. So what happens is, is then you spend your whole life trying to avoid that feeling coming back again that you had when you accidentally walked into the bathroom with your drawing as a three-year-old and mom was shoving a tampon in. So no matter what you do with your kids, it's about how they perceive things and you are not in control of how they perceive your actions, the situations, the environment that you're in. You can control things, but you cannot control everything. So I just want to say that one, number one, because if you spend your whole life as a parent trying to coddle and protect your kids from having the ounce of the out, like the smallest bit of trauma, because you don't ever want that to be hanging over your head of like, you fucked them, blah, blah, blah. Like just get over that one because like you are going to fuck your kids. Like that's just going to happen. Like it's going to happen that they're going to be traumatized by something or you didn't do something right. Or they misinterpreted something. It's called a human experience and you literally cannot avoid it. So like stop winding yourself up as a parent trying to avoid something that is unavoidable, if that makes sense. Um, that's the first thing that I want to mention with that. So we can all just get really clear on that of like, you are not perfect as a parent and there's no way that you can be perfect. And there's no way that you can, you know, stop your children having any trauma whatsoever. There are ways though, that you can heavily reduce your kids picking up on your trauma or trauma getting passed down to you or them being traumatized by something, right? Or, you know, creating beliefs like I'm not enough X, Y, and Z. The first one that I feel like is the most obvious, a lot of us are aware of it, is the passing down of trauma. So like ancestral trauma, for example, I won't go like too into it, Um, I think a lot of people can almost blame ancestral trauma now 
as a way to like stay in their own victimhood of like, oh, I can't help it. Like it's ancestral trauma that's been passed down. Like you can help it because you can break that trauma. So all that happens, for example, is just to kind of keep it brief with ancestral trauma is as you guys would know, we hold trauma in our body. And let's say for example, your grandmother, she uh, went through a very stressful time in her life, like World War II, right? And that completely as a result ruined her gut lining and her gut microbiome. Then she gave birth to your mom. So your mom had a shitty gut microbiome. And because of the way that your your grandmother acted, your mom grew up with a fear that something bad was always going to happen. Okay. Because your grandmother had that. So it was passed on to your mom because that's the environment that she grew up in. And that's the environment she was born into. As in when she was in the womb, she maybe had really low cortisol levels when she was born because your grandmother, her mom also had really low cortisol levels when giving birth and when being pregnant because she was in a state of high cortisol for so long that she then went into a state of low cortisol. Just quick synopsis on that, just so you guys know. So when you've been in a state of high cortisol for too long and you've been on like this adrenaline rush, what will happen is sooner or later, your, your adrenals are like, I can't keep, um, releasing adrenaline and cortisol. So like I'm tapping out. So you go into a state of low low cortisol that will show up as like you, you know, feeling like you've been hit by a bus when you wake up in the morning and you get a wind of energy at like 9 PM at night. That's low cortisol or like, you know, it's a symptom of low cortisol. Anyway. So what happens is your mom was then born into this environment where her gut microbiome was fucked up. She had a, she had low cortisol basically from birth and she grew up in an environment where, you know, um, there was this constant fear of something bad happening. If she didn't break it, guess what? It gets passed down to you. That's essentially how ancestral trauma happens, okay? And it's held in our bodies and in our DNA because of the way that trauma affects our physical body, okay? It affects our gut microbiome, our hormone levels, all the things, inflammation levels, whatever. So the most obvious way to ensure that you don't pass trauma and beliefs on negative beliefs onto your children is for you to break any ancestral trauma. So for example, it's been ancestral trauma in my dad's line of like scarcity around money. So I've broken that because I used to have a lot of that. I've broken that. So now my children won't have it. Okay. Or for example, on my mum's line, there was a lot of ancestral trauma about being a good Catholic girl. Basically don't speak up, don't, you know, draw boundaries, don't disrupt the crowd, like please everybody. Obviously I've fucking broken that one. So that would be an example of I've broken lines of trauma. So I won't have that pass on to my kids. So it's really beautiful when I see, you know, new mothers or mothers to be, or women that want to be a mother in the next year or two, come to me and say, I want to do this work on myself so that I don't pass down any trauma to my children. It's beautiful. You also can do this. You can do a lot of it when you're pregnant for anyone that's worried about that. There's some things that you shouldn't do when you're pregnant with like trauma healing, but I'd obviously tell you those things. And there's a lot that you can still be doing when you're pregnant to break a lot of, um, trauma, that's uh, trauma beliefs, whatever that gets passed down to your children. So for any of you that are thinking about coming to the Australian event, or that you are coming and you're pregnant, or what if you fall pregnant before then you're fine, don't worry about it. There's going to be a few of you that are pregnant. I already know some that are, um, that are, have like just fallen pregnant, for example. So you'll be fine. Um, or some that are wanting to fall pregnant in the next couple of months. Okay. Point being, so number one thing for everyone to be doing of how you can prevent trauma being passed down to your children 
is you need to break as much trauma as you can, as many shitty beliefs as you can, as many um, blocks as you can so that you don't get them passed on to your children. Bad habits, you know, um, you going into trauma responses over certain things, all that kind of stuff, because then you won't project it onto them. You won't put it onto them, right? When they start to be, you know, when they're screaming, you don't snap and project all of your shit onto them. You can stay really cool, calm and collected. Boom. You've just done something that a lot of women wouldn't be able to do because they haven't healed their stuff. So then they go into this whole trauma response when their kids start screaming, for example, right? So that's number one. And then obviously with you doing your own work, it allows you to become very self-aware and therefore you can kind of pass that awareness onto your child. So for example, um, let me have a sip of water, hold on. Mm. So for example, you know, if you're, um, if you are aware that, um, if you've become really self-aware when your kid comes home crying from school, you'll actually know how to handle it really, really well, which will be very healing for your child. And it will also help you to feel like there has been resolution for the situation. Um, and not just like any kind of shoving under the carpet or just like, hopefully I've dealt with it. It's like, you actually feel like there has been like true resolution for it, if that makes sense. So doing your own work, allows you to bring that self-awareness also into your parenting, into the family. And most importantly, it allows you to bring that self-awareness, compassion, empathy, understanding, and just really healing energy to your children when they're in situations where they need you. Because the reality is, is that a child is looking for how to respond and how to behave. They're looking at you. So when you're responding and behaving in a negative way that they learn, that's how you respond and behave. So then they go and do that. So if you're projecting all of your anger onto your husband, for example, they learn that's acceptable. So then they grow up to do that same thing. But when you've broken that, they're not going to do that because they don't see that being shown to them as like, oh, this is how you behave to your partner. You know, or for example, if you train them, not train them, but if you teach them and show them that it's really healthy to express your emotions, then they're going to do that for themselves. So they're not going to grow up bottling up all of their emotions. They're going to grow up feeling safe to feel their emotions. So you're going to have a child that has a very regulated nervous system compared to one that doesn't have a regulated nervous system because you don't know how to do that. So therefore you can't teach your child how to do that as well. Friends, if you don't already know this, I have a bunch of audio tracks that you can buy on my website and there's ones like plenty of food reprogramming tracks, which is amazing, especially if you have some sort of binge eating issue. The plenty of food is going to be really helpful because it's going to help with the trauma response of why you're going into overeating, which is a whole, whole other topic of conversation. But I also have amazing manifestation audios. They are so fucking good. I kind of found that with like, you know, going on walks and doing my things, I would be listening to these amazing songs and I can really like basically be doing my own kind of guided manifestation practice in my head. But a lot of you are not sure how to do it or you're not there yet, or you just want someone else to do it for you. So I basically have taken like little snippets of things that I, you know, would do with you in Queen Alchemy or in at my immersion or with one-on-one coaching or whatever it is, where instead of doing, you know, a one hour quantum leaping DNA upgrading manifestation um, process, I am giving you these smaller 
audio tracks that you can throw in throughout your day so that you can do them when you're walking, you can do them when you're driving, you can do them when you're getting ready for the day. And they're just really upbeat because for me, I need to like get into the fucking vibe and feel high vibe. And like, I'm dancing around to feel that excitement of the manifestations that are going to come into my life. So like some, you know, classical piano thing with manifestation mantras like they're just not cutting it for me if that makes sense I like to feel really activated in my body so these are going to help you manifest the things that you want because writing down your you know manifestations is fantastic but actually feeling them is really where the magic is at because manifestation is a somatic experience you have to feel it in your body in order for it to come to you so if you don't already have my manifestation tracks i'm going to put the link below and you can check them all out i've got journaling ones so that you feel high vibe when you're journaling because that's really important i've got walking ones i've got getting ready for the day ones and then i'm also going to be releasing really shortly ones for driving and extra one another one for walking and i'm just going to really keep going because they're fun i love making them and i love using them so All the details for that is below. Let's jump back into the episode. And on the note of like emotions and um, like helping your child to move through traumatic situations when one's happening, let's just remember, let's all regroup. Trauma has a scale. There's a trauma scale. You can have small amounts of trauma or large amounts of trauma. Your child could come home and they've been picked on at school. Your child could slip and fall on the concrete and hit its arm or its head and will break its arm. That's an example of trauma. And no, it's not like huge trauma in the whole scale of things, but it is still very traumatic. And it's, again, it's about how the child perceived that situation. If they fell and broke their arm and you grabbed them and allowed them to feel loved and safe in that moment and let them just cry it all out and not tell them to be quiet, for example, they're going to perceive that situation completely different to a parent that gets them in trouble for falling over. That is like, oh my fucking God, why did you fall over? You've broken your arm now. Like, shush, stop crying. You're fine. I'll take you to the fucking hospital and you're getting angry about it, they're going to perceive that situation entirely differently. So for one kid that could grow up to being a really traumatic situation for another kid, they won't even remember it. This is why it's always so fascinating to me when I work here with clients and we do, um, I take them through different modalities and they will have memories pop up that they have not remembered in the longest time or they're like, this is a random as memory. Like, why do I remember this of all things? And they'll explain it to me. And I'm like, I know exactly why you remember this. It's clear as day to me. So it's very interesting, the things that we remember from our childhood and the things that we forget. And forgetting things doesn't mean that it was like, oh, that was a good memory. So I forgot it. No, you can also forget things because it was so traumatic, but it's still there. We just have to bring it up because it's still in your body because the trauma response is still going off. We just have to bring it up. So The most important thing with your child um, to help them to move through trauma is feeling their emotions, is validating their feelings and feeling their emotions. This does not mean you coddle. This is, there's always a line, right? And by the way, I should preface actually, I'm obviously not a parent at the moment. I'm only a parent to dogs, four of them, lol. Um, I'm obviously not a parent at the moment. So what I'm sharing with you is I'm sharing with you information based on what I know about trauma and children and how children grow up and the difference between a a girl's brain and a boy's brain and how that changes. This is based on what I know 
on trauma and what I have done with my clients that they've like, what I've taught my clients that they have implemented with their kids and seen huge changes and results in their child's behavior. So, and I obviously I'm basing a lot of this also off, um, clients and their experiences and how the perception and then the way it could have been different. And basically I just know all of this based on me knowing trauma and the human body. So just want to preface that. Um, so there's always going to be a line, right? Where you don't want to be coddling a child because that ever helps. I don't see any of my clients that have been coddled thriving. Um, in fact, it creates, it can actually create a feeling of unsafety within their own body because it's like, I can't trust myself because they have outsourced their trust, um, and their power and like their leadership to their mother because their mother's coddled them their whole life, if that makes sense. And it can really result in the child becoming quite a people pleaser and and whatnot because they just want their mother's love and attention because they've grown up with that in an extreme, like, you know, they've grown up with this coddling their whole life. And so the only thing that makes them feel safe is their mother coddling them. Not the greatest thing. So there's always going to be a line, right? Where you want your child to feel your emotion, feel their emotions and process, but them sitting in it forever and being a victim to it, that's not going to help. So like if your child's getting bullied, for example, especially girls, right? So if you're, I'll go through girls and boys. So if you're, if your girl, if your daughter, sorry, if your girl, if your daughter is getting bullied and she comes home, you telling her like, you're strong, it's okay, suck it up. Like, don't let them affect you, blah, blah, blah. That's not going to help anything. Okay. Cause you're invalidating the feelings that she's experiencing. Instead, it would be like, honey, let's get it all out. Like, tell me everything. What's going on? Feel, feel, feel like really encourage her to feel her emotions. Right. So she doesn't trap them all in her body to feel her emotions in that moment. And then if she continues to dwell on them and continues to be like, I don't want to go to school because of X, Y, and Z, that's where you can then empower her to feel good in her own body and safe in her own body and X, Y, and Z. You don't want to then, you don't want to raise kids that are then afraid of everything because you are overdoing the whole fucking trauma and safety thing. Like that's something that like that I see in the personal development world. Hmm. And this world of like trauma healing that like everyone's fucking doing now is the problem is that all these people are now becoming too sensitive where they literally can't even live as a human being because they are, you know, being like so trauma informed, like walking around on eggshells, don't want to disrupt anybody, like don't want to ruffle any feathers because they don't want someone to go on a trauma response. Like I don't want to go on a trauma response. Got to keep my nervous system relaxed. Like, okay, that's great but you can't live your life that way. Like the reality is, is that there's going to be moments where you ruffle feathers. There's going to be moments where you get triggered by shit. There's going to be moments where you accidentally put somebody else into a bit of a trauma response, where you disrupt the fucking flow, where your nervous system gets agitated and stressed. It's fine. You're a human. Move on with your life. Don't become so sensitive and don't let your kids become so sensitive, right? That they literally feel like they can't live in the world. That is not, that is not where you want to go, where you become so self-aware, so sensitive, so like kind of pathetic that you literally can't live because you're so aware of like your trauma, if that makes sense. Like be aware of it, but if you've healed it, then just move on. Don't become so acutely aware that you are overthinking and driving yourself insane because it's not going to help anybody. And you don't want to raise your children to be like that because it isn't going to help them. At the end of the day, it's always like a balance of like being strong but also not holding on to shit, not bottling things up, if that makes sense. Um, 
what was I going to say? Uh, for a boy, for example, with him getting bullied, um, he, depending on the age of him, yes, he might want to cry, get him to let it out, X, Y, and Z, same kind of thing. If he's older, though, if he's, you know, kind of going into those teenage years, his brain is actually changing as his testosterone comes through. And so when a boy and a girl are young, they can kind of be treated the same because their hormone levels are more similar. Not obviously the same, but they're more similar. As soon as a boy starts to go into um, his teenage years, that beginning phase, he's going to get more testosterone and then his brain changes. And so as that testosterone comes through, he's going to not be as emotional, but get more angry. You suppressing your son's anger is the worst thing that you can do because you're not making it disappear you're suppressing it and suppressed emotions eventually come up. Imagine shaking a champagne bottle. What's going to eventually happen? The cork's going to fucking blow off, hit the roof, cause a dammit, cause a fucking dent in the roof. And there's going to be champagne everywhere ruining your velvet sofa. I just give a very vivid description. Well, that hasn't happened to me, but I was just wanted to really paint the picture for you all. So bottling up emotions isn't going to lead to anything. And unfortunately what we're seeing a lot is these young boys coming through and these young men coming through that are very suppressed, very feminine. And there's a lot of anger behind their facade, right? There's a lot of anger because there's so much of this like fear of being a man, apologizing for being a boy. I'm sure you guys probably have seen, maybe you haven't, you know, it was an Australian school actually. It happened a few years ago where they made the boys line up and apologize for being boys. And I'm like, and how is that raising better men? Like someone please fucking tell me. Like all that is doing is suppressing a man's already innate expression, frustrations, desires, whatever. So of course, if it's suppressed, it's actually more unhealthy because they're going to be released in a blackout rage situation where they don't remember doing it. And they're actually going to cause some damage to someone or something. So aggressive, generally speaking, aggressive men are actually suppressed men. The men that have gotten really comfortable with their anger, their emotions, their expression, they're not suppressed. Therefore, they're not angry. They're not dangerous. They're not aggressive because they aren't bottling up all this suppressed energy that accidentally gets projected onto other people when they get heated and triggered. They've released it when they needed to release it in a healthy environment. Therefore, it's gone. They're not getting triggered by things. So for your for sons, and even you can do this for girls as well, because girls get fucking angry, right? Girls also get angry more so when their hormones start to come through with all their estrogen and progesterone and their hormones start changing because it's like, what is happening to my body? I feel different, right? Their brain is changing. Everything's changing. So as a kid starts to go into more of his adolescent years and teenage years where their brain is starting to change because of the hormones coming through, they're going to want to be more expressed. Them just crying and like, like when they were like three, isn't going to do anything for them. They're going to start to actually get angry. And again, you suppressing that for a girl or for a boy isn't healthy. A lot of, when we look at the research with like, um, uh, girls being bullied and sisterhood bullying, a lot of the problem is this like suppression of anger, especially because girls are very good at hiding the bully, the bullying, as in girls are really good at playing this game of like, I'm the perfect student, but then bullying other people and therefore teachers and parents, they're not seeing it. So nobody can actually like stop it. If that makes sense. That's why often girls have more bitchiness and like this backstabbing and this constant fear of being wrong. And it creates this fear of like this intense fear of rejection from school. 
the sisterhood wounding like starts in school, right? Girls have that more than boys because we're not going to just punch somebody in the schoolyard, whereas a boy would, we're going to be backstabbing. And actually the research shows it's actually more damaging because it feels like you, it's this constant mental fear and it feels like you're being haunted and you feel like you feel, um, uh, what's the word? You don't feel validated by teachers and parents because they can't see it being done, if that makes sense. So it's like your word against them. So it can feel very invalidating and very um, lonely for girls. So it's different. So it can make them feel very upset and depressed next time there. But for some girls, it's going to get make them get really, really angry especially if anger is being triggered from elsewhere, right? Um, from like being suppressed maybe at home or being frustrated with school or heartbreak from a boy they like or whatever it is. So when it comes to anger, it is really important as a parent that you create something in your environment, whether it's at home or taking them somewhere where they are able to express their anger and their rage and just their emotion, their frustration in a healthy way. Because what's happening, especially for boys is and girls as well, because there are aggressive girls, is that you teach them like anger and frustration is fine. Like it's a good, it's an emotion. We're allowed to feel it. We just want to make sure we're feeling it in a healthy way and not projecting it onto somebody else. And you don't want to, you really want to avoid projecting onto anybody else at any time, right? Like you don't want to be projecting your work stress onto your partner. You don't want to be projecting, you know, your body image issues onto your girlfriends and to your partner. So why would you want to express your anger? Like we shouldn't be projecting onto anybody. It's not healthy. It's not helpful for you or them. It doesn't make you feel good. It doesn't make them feel good. It doesn't lead to anything good. So when you can teach your children from a young age that emotions are healthy, just make sure that you are letting them out in a, in a healthy way and not onto somebody else. That is like one of the best things that you can do for your kids because then when they, you know, face hardship or they face traumatic situations or whatever it is, they don't go into a freeze or a fight or flight or a fawn, right, response and bottle up all this trauma in them, which then fucks them for however many years later until they finally do some healing work on themselves and some somatic healing work on themselves, right? Instead, you can prevent that happening from a young age, or at least prevent some of it happening. And some is better than nothing. So, um, setting up like a boxing bag in your garage, if you live in like the country, taking your kids to, you know, go and chop wood or like throw fucking apples at a brick wall, smash shit, like that kind of stuff, make it fun. If you can make emotional expression fun, it's also going to be a lot more engaging for them, if that makes sense. And they need to see you doing it. If you're not going to get into it, then they're not going to get into it. Remember that a child is looking at you for permission and safety. So if you're expressing your emotions, they're going to feel better about expressing their emotions, especially if you're expressing it in a healthy way and not expressing it onto them. Because a lot of parents will also project onto their children, which also isn't good. You as a parent, like that's causing more trauma, right? You as a parent should be, should know or learn how to, you know, process your own shit, heal your trauma. And therefore you're not going to be projecting your frustration that you have at your husband one day or your partner or your wife or whatever. You're not going to project it onto your kid, for example. 
Ladies, if you are wanting to be a part of Queen Alchemy Round 11 starting next year and you need an extended payment plan, it's imperative that you join the waitlist and fill out the form that you get in your emails once you join the waitlist before December because this avail- this payment plan is only going to be available until about December 10th. Um, and then it will be closed. And then you'll only have the normal payment options that I do of pay in full or split payment. So if you know that you need an extended payment plan for Queen Alchemy, it's imperative that you join ASAP so that you can lock in your space and get that payment plan sorted. And then you know that you're good to go. You'll also get early access to the portal uh, by joining early. So even if you don't need the extended payment plan, If I were you, I'd be joining early because then you have December and January over that break time to start getting into the content and getting ahead. So when we start doing the live calls, because there's there's a lot of live calls, you don't feel like you get left. um, You don't feel like you get behind because you have done that work beforehand. So just a reminder, if you need the extended payment plan for Queen Alchemy 11, you need to join now. Sign up to the waitlist below and you will get an email in your inbox with the form that you need to fill out. And then the rest of the details I will guide you through. And then even if you don't need the extended payment plan, but you would like to get access to the Kajabi portal early so that you can start getting through about 50% of the content before we even start the program, then definitely join now so that you don't get behind um, when we're doing the live program in March. And obviously with like the processing of emotions as a kid, you're not saying in the schoolyard, it's, you know acceptable to start screaming and processing your emotions. What you'd be teaching your kids is that, you know, here is how, here is the place where we express our emotions in a healthy way. So when you've had a shit day at school, come home, let me know. We're going to go here. We're going to put some fucking heavy metal music on. We're going to let all that shit out. You want to make sure that you're teaching them to express it in the right environment. And you want to then obviously be continually giving, continually giving them that environment and never ever making them feel shame or guilt or any of those kind of emotions for feeling something. Okay. If you are suppressing your child's emotions, that isn't helping. You can get your child out of a fucking negative spiral, but if they need to cry or scream or whatever it is, the best thing that you can do is let them do it hundred percent. Um, so yeah, welcome anger. Do not tell them to not get angry about something when your kids are having a meltdown, let them have a meltdown, encourage them to keep feeling. Don't tell them to shut up when they're having a meltdown. Don't try and stop the meltdown. Don't try and get them to stop crying. Instead, just let them cry it out. They will stop crying. And if they feel held in their emotions, it's going to be a lot faster for them to process. The human body knows how to process. They know how to process already without actually knowing. So if they're crying about something, you know, because their brother was mean to them or whatever, if you grab them and hold them and are like, cry it all out, baby, and they cry it all out, it's like, boom, done. I can almost guarantee they're going to be like, okay, I'm good, mommy. I'm going to go keep playing. And you're going to be like, wait, what? Like, is this a fucking Gemini as in two personalities? Um, no, that's what happens when you process things really fucking quickly. Um, when you, when you know how to process things really quickly, you can have, you can be like in the depths of fucking despair. And then once that's gone, it's like, all right, I'm good now. And then you can just continue on with your day and feel happy as a fucking pig in mud because you've processed something and it's not sitting in your body, if that makes sense. So you want to teach your children that because, um, because when they're young, you have the opportunity of inhibiting trauma from happening, inhibiting negative beliefs from happening, inhibiting 
energetic blocks from happening. Um, so that when they're, when they're an adult, they don't have to, you know, work on the block of I'm not enough for three months to finally clear it somatically because there's, you know, 70 fucking situations where it's been instilled into them. Obviously as an adult now with you guys listening to it, you know, the beauty of what I do is that we can clear this stuff very quickly. Um, and without, without getting like too into it is that, even if you have struggled with something your whole life, it's not the rest of your life. Like you have a choice to be like, I'm getting rid of this once and for all. Even if your kids are five or 10 or 15, like you doing this work is still going to benefit them hugely because your child, no matter how old it is, is still learning. They're still looking to you. So even if your kids are fucking 20, you, you doing this work is actually going to be monumentally healing for them as well, no matter what their age is. So, um, so yeah. Okay. The next thing that I want to mention that is kind of probably like taboo for me to say is that, so you can emasculate your son and you don't want to be doing that especially where we are seeing so many men not embracing and embodying their healthy masculine energy. We want to really, really be reducing the emasculation of boys because it is not going to help them to feel safe in their masculinity. It's going to make them feel suppressed. And what happens if they're suppressed, they bottle it up, comes up in an unhealthy way. So, um, what was I going to say? So if it's possible, wait, let me just go back for a second. So, a lot of the current men that we are seeing, let's say, for example, the men that are like in their 30s and 40s right now, around about that time frame, maybe like, yeah, 30s, 40s. A lot of men, and even like 20s, a lot of kids were heavily raised by their mom, right? Even prior to this, it was like the mom raised them. Prior to like men being in the office all day and dads not being around, there was actually a lot of masculine figures that raised young boys, right? Because on the weekends, they'd all be going to do all their chores. There would be a really big sense of community. So even if, you know, a young boy's dad wasn't around all the time because he was working, he had other masculine figures that, that took this little boy under their wing and trained him up to be a man. That is a very, very common thing back in the olden days that we saw. Um, and what's happened is a lot of mothers that are raising their children, if they are coddling their sons and trying to ensure their sons don't become bad men and their sons are sensitive and nice and all that kind of stuff, that's, you know, more like new age parenting or the problem with that is that you're trying to make your son a girl, a daughter, the problem is that you are trying to mother your son the way that you would be mothering a daughter. So what's happening is that you aren't, because you're a woman, don't get this the wrong fucking way, because you're a woman and you have literally a different brain, you are, unless you're very aware of it, generally speaking, not raising your son in a way that is going to help him to be like a fucking man. You're raising your son in a way that's going to make him a very, not very, like more so a sensitive, not sensitive is wrong, sensitive, softer, quote unquote, weaker man, because you're trying to protect him in a feminine way, not in a masculine way. He needs to be protected in a masculine way. 
if this makes sense. So this is like fucking touchy. I don't want anyone to take this the wrong way. What I'm saying is that two things. One, be aware of not emasculating your son. So don't say, why don't you ever fucking help me around the house? Why do you never unpack the dishwasher? Honey, what is preventing you from helping me around the house? What? Not why. Um, stop shaming him. Stop belittling him. Stop, stop saying things that are instilling this idea that you do not trust him. Because at the end of the day, even a little boy, he wants to be a man for his mom. He wants to be the man of the house, even a little boy, even a 10-year-old boy. What he wants to protect you, that's in his biology, right? This is not something that we can fake. It is in his biology. He wants to protect you. That is why you will see little boys being like, mommy, don't cry. What's wrong? Mommy, don't cry. And trying to protect their mom because that is literally within them. So if you can, one, stop emasculating. And then two, try and have like, like if you can try and get your partner, your husband or another male figure that you really, really trust to be an influential part of your son's life. If you can, if you, if you have, if you're in, like, if you're still married or if the dad's still around, really, really try and have him being the one to discipline your son. And you as the woman are the one disciplining your daughter. The reason why this is important is because the way that a father wants to discipline a daughter is completely different. Most of the time to the way that a mother would discipline a daughter. Why? Same brains. How many times have you know, if you're a woman listening to this, there are probably many instances that you remembered where you feel shamed by your dad or you feel not enough or you feel wrong or you feel less than because your dad was trying to parent you and he doesn't know how to parent a daughter. This is like one of the most common things that comes up with my clients of when we do, I hit him through a modality that basically is like very emotional because they actually realized that like their dad just didn't know what the fuck to be doing with a daughter. Their dad is like, I don't know how to daughter. I don't know how to parent a daughter. Like you're emotional. You change your mind every day. Like one minute you like this, the next minute you don't. Like, I don't know how to deal with you. And it's not in a negative way. It's in a way that they haven't been taught. And so it can actually really help a child in terms of their trauma and upbringing and all that kind of stuff and beliefs. If the, if like the disciplining can be done like with, by the same sex. So daughter gets disciplined by mom, son gets disciplined by father or another fatherly figure, because it's going to be done in the way that it's going to be the most receptive to that child's brain. So if a mother is trying to discipline a daughter, a a son, sorry, it can really come across as shaming and emasculating, which is going to make him feel less than a man and go into his little tortoise shell. It's not going to make him rise into becoming a better man, if that makes sense. But if a man disciplines his son, the way that it's going to be done is going to be done where actually he's like, I need to fucking step, step up and be a better man depending on the age of the child, obviously. So where possible, you want to make sure that there is always a fatherly figure or a motherly figure in your child's life um, to ensure that they are, that they have somebody in their life that has, you know, quote unquote, the same brain um, as them. It's going to be really helpful. I will say just one thing to note is that when a woman goes into menopause, her brain changes again and becomes more like a boy's brain, um, as in there's less estrogen, less progesterone. So you don't really want a grandmother, for example, disciplining 
a daughter necessarily, like a young girl or a grandmother um, disciplining like a teenage boy because the brains aren't like it's not the right brain compatibility, if that makes sense. You want like a man that is in still his prime age, quote unquote prime age, to be disciplining your son. And then a woman that is in the prime age to be disciplining her daughter, just so like hormonal profiles are on par, if that makes sense. Um, what else did I want to mention? Yeah. Um, I've said that. I've said that. Okay. The last thing I want to say, which I've kind of already said is that kids respond and make truth off their parents' facial expressions, especially girls. So if you look at girls, if you watch a girl playing with her parents in the room, she'll often be staring at her mother's face. And it's because, so as the way that our brains are as women, it's very interesting. We can read facial expressions a lot better than a uh, a man can or a boy can. Like, you know, when you can just tell a woman's about to start crying as a woman, it's our ability to read facial expressions and body language. We have this incredible ability to do so. Men don't have that ability as much unless they've trained themselves to really know. That's why sometimes you could be on the verge of tears and your boyfriend has no fucking idea it's not because he doesn't know you well enough or it doesn't, it's not because he doesn't care about you. It's like, he's not able to pick up on those facial changes, those subtle facial shifts. Like we are obviously, if you've been with your partner for a while, he will know like you're about to cry face, but before the about to cry face, he, his brain won't be picking it up his brain will not pick up that about to cry that like before the about to cry face. Right. Whereas a woman could, can pick that up literally from these tiny subtle energetic shifts. So it's really important as a parent that you are not like, if you can, this is not like, again, you can't be a perfect parent where possible to limit a child's trauma is be aware of your facial expressions of pain or sadness or anger or grief in front of your child and try not to be processing your trauma in front of your kids because it's not going to help them. Even if you tell them like, nothing's wrong, you're safe, blah, blah, blah. The the words aren't the same as seeing. So they're going to take what they see as truth, not what you say. Because even if you're saying I'm fine. I'm fine. But they can see on your face. It's not fine. The face is the truth. If that makes sense. Um, that's, what's really important. The last thing that I will say also, I probably want to say the last thing I was going to say. The last thing I will also say is that just remember that like, as an adult, we can perceive something as like, we're totally fine in the situation, but as a child, they perceive themselves. I'm about to die because Remember our adult brain has got years of experience, of knowledge. We understand, we, we can see a situation for what it is, which is completely different to how a child sees a situation. A child is taking a lot less data and making a quick summary of it. of like, I'm going to die. Like, well, this is really dangerous. Whereas an adult could be taking a dot, a bunch of data and be like, Hey, this isn't really fucking ideal to be in, but like, whatever, we'll be fine. And it's the same situation, but a child is seeing it completely differently. Right? So it's really important as a parent to understand that like, just because you perceive something one way, doesn't mean that a child's going to perceive something a different way. Don't invalidate your kids. Tell them they're loved. Tell them they're safe. Tell them they're deserving. 
be confident in them. Don't fucking put them down for having a shitty grade one time. Instead, ask them like, tell them like, baby, I'm proud of you no matter what. Um, and like, is there anything that we could be doing for you to help you to feel, um, more confident going into your exams? Like, understand that your children are generally speaking, if they are, if they feel like they're in a loving household, they're doing their best. They're as a human, we want to be doing our best. We want to be achieving. That is just humans, right? We want to grow. If they are not doing their best and they don't give a fuck, that's because they are not in an environment that is making them want to achieve, making them want to grow, making them want to be better. You need to figure that out. You need to be the inquisitive one instead of just shaming your kids to do better. It's not going to fucking work. It's going to make them feel worse. So the way that you speak to your children, the tone of voice and the way that you ask questions is really important. And especially for boys is ask a question and let them think on it for three hours until they come back to you. That's part of understanding men as well. Like I actually say a heap more on these different things, um, with like relating to boys and, and like young, um, young boys in be a lover, not a mother, because if you can understand how to communicate to your son, it will radically change your son's upbringing, especially if he is heavily raised by you. It's okay. If he's heavily raised by a woman, just understand men because then you will feel confident in knowing that you are raising a good man and not a boy, not a man child, right? That is, that is literally up to you. Like you are responsible for the raising of that kid. Okay. I will say one more thing and then I have to go is something else that you can be doing to prevent trauma and like just allow your kids to have like your child to have like the best life is physical health. I've totally forgot to mention this is your physical health, right? So, you know, a lot of, a lot of kids are heavily stressed. They're comparing themselves on social media. They're anxious. They are depressed. They like, I mean, the list just fucking goes on. It's really sad. So one, you telling a kid not to do something is never going to work. Like you telling your 16 year old kid, don't drink. They're going to still go fucking drink. Like, I think we, I think like, hopefully most of you know that, but like, I know as a parent, it can be really hard. Like, you know it, but like, you don't want to have, you don't want to be giving them alcohol. That is where the self-awareness comes in and the nervous system regulation comes in. Because if you can literally be in control of your mind, your thoughts, your nervous system, you will then be like, I don't want to fucking do this, but I actually know that my child will be safer. Me knowing when they're drinking and them feeling like it's safe for them to come to me or pick up the phone being like, mom, I'm too drunk. I need you to pick me up. That child is going to be so much safer than the kids that, and we all know this from fucking high school, right? Than the kids that felt shamed by their parents and like they were going to get in trouble if their parents found out. Those kids, I don't know about you guys, but those those girls at school that were that were like, oh my God, if my parents came out, found out that I was drinking, I would literally be killed or like kicked out of the house. Guess what? They'd get more fucking drunk, right? The kids that wouldn't, that knew that their parents wouldn't, they'd be pissed, but they wouldn't, wouldn't drink as much because they don't have that need to rebel. Anyway, getting back to the health side of things, kids are under a lot of pressure these days and have a lot of health issues because of the collective trauma, because of the trauma of like and the pressure and the fear and the comparisonitis and all that kind of stuff of social media, the media in general, 
filters, all those kind of things. And just like them actually not having a real sense of reality. So, you know, that's obviously going to affect a child's gut health because of the vagus nerve connection. It's going to affect inflammation levels. It's going to affect their hormone levels. It's going to affect so many things that you guys know about from listening to my podcast, right? Like you guys know now about the effect of trauma on your physical body. It's not just happening to you. It's happening to your child. So little things that are going to help that like catch 22, right? They're saying the catch 22 of like, if you're stressed and anxious all the time, it throws your gut your gut microbiome out. If your gut microbiome is thrown out, then it makes you fucking anxious because we know that a vast majority of serotonin serotonin transmitters are produced in the gut. So, you know, you can't just be focusing on reducing your anxiety if you're not also focusing on healing your gut health. Like the two are inter interlinked. So as a parent, making sure that your child has good gut health is taking supplements, is not eating a pile of sugar and carbs and gluten and processed dairy, making sure that they are eating whole foods, that their taste buds are not addicted to sugar, for example, that they are not consuming a pile of vegetable oil that's throwing out their fucking inflammation levels, that they have balanced hormones, that they are having a regular sleep schedule to help with their um, circadian rhythm. All those little health things are going to also really affect whether trauma is constantly exacerbated in their body and whether things are perceived as trauma, whether, you know, more trauma is coming to the surface, more anxiety, depression, whatever is coming to the surface because, okay, the root hasn't been fixed energetically, emotionally, mentally, but also what's really adding it is the fact that their gut health is fucked, right? Like that's really what's been the whole trigger to this stuff coming up. So ensuring that your child has good gut health is, isn't eating sugar or at least not a lot of it. And when I say a lot of it, I mean like sugars and fucking everything. So like they really should only be eating like fruit and like, you know, a little bit of, you know, maybe maple syrup, coconut sugar, whatever, like that really sugar needs to be low, no gluten, no processed dairy. If you're eating dairy, it should be organic pasta raised, good quality meat to reduce inflammation um, from too many omega-6s in processed meat um, that hasn't been grass-fed, grass-finished. All those little things are really going to help. And the reality is, is like they, you are fully in control of what your child's eating, especially when it's young. So when your child is young, you are setting up, you are literally the one that is controlling their um taste receptor, uh, their taste buds, right? Um, sorry, I was just sort of text message, their taste buds. So as a child, if a child being as a kid, sorry, if a kid is growing up being fed a pile of sugar, what's going to happen is that their taste buds are made where they need more sugar to taste sweetness versus a kid that doesn't really, that didn't really eat any sugar or anything sweet growing up when they have candy, they're going to be like, Oh my God, this is so sweet. Ew. But another kid could need 10 times that amount of sugar to actually taste the sweetness because our taste buds literally change depending on what we're eating. So if you are, when a child is very young, you're obviously the one that is in control of what it's eating because you're feeding it. So this is like the prime time to ensure that your kid, your kid's taste buds are not being developed to be addicted to sugar and to need a lot of sugar to actually taste something sweet. So it's very important that you do it when you're young. And then obviously like you don't need to be like a lot of these things when a kid's at home, like you're cooking dinner, right? You're cooking breakfast, you're giving them their lunch to go to school. So it's really, this is all on you. It's completely up to you. And okay, when a teenager is a teenager, they could go out and buy candy somewhere like after school or whatever. But 
if you know and you shaming them to not do that is not going to fucking help with eating disorders by the way but what i'm saying is like but if if 80 percent of their meals is no sugar and healthy food when they go and eat that candy bar they are not going to be able to tolerate that candy bar they're probably going to feel sick after it compared to if they were eating an okay diet from home and still going to do that So the more that you can help your child have a healthy physical body, it's going to help them in every other aspect of life. And it's going to help them to then reduce their sugar intake on their own, off their own bat when they're not around you, because they're not going to be able to tolerate as much sugar without feeling sick because they haven't grown up tolerating sugar, if that makes sense. So, you know, using really good quality meat, cooking in good oils, so olive oil, coconut oil, ghee, lard, organic pasture-raised butter, um, avocado oil, making sure there's no sugar, there's no gluten, that the dairy is organic and pasture raised. Um, and that they're having a variety of fruit and vegetables. They're taking supplements. They're on a good sleep schedule. You know, you, you know, you do a nighttime routine where at, you know, at 8 PM, the lights get dimmed all around the house. Everyone wears blue blockers, but cute, sexy ones, right? Cause a teenager isn't going to want to wear fugly ones. Everyone wears cute blue blockers, like all of those little things, like you are instilling in them. You don't force it on them. Cause that's not going to help. It's going to do the opposite thing. They're going to be like, fuck this. A child is going to do the same or the opposite as a parent. So if you want a child to embrace something, the last thing you want to be doing is forcing it on them. Instead, you constantly doing it and making it normal at home, that it's going to eventually probably embrace it or at least embrace a little bit of it. So if you and your husband are always wearing blue blockers and their pair is sitting there that you've bought for them, they're more likely to, when they sit down, just put it on because everybody else is putting it on. And then what will happen is if they're constantly wearing blue blockers, for example, but they go to a friend's house and not wear them, this is just a very basic example, they might get a headache from watching TV. And that headache will help them to self-choose and self-identify, I want to be wearing blue blockers. Or if they're not eating any sugar at home and they go to a party and a pile of cake with gluten and sugar and dairy in it and they feel really fucking sick after, they will choose for themselves, I don't like eating very much sweet stuff. It makes me feel sick. You forcing it on them, you telling them don't eat sweet, don't eat sweet, don't eat sweet, isn't going to do it. But if you are just the, if you are the one that creates a healthy environment for them they will be able to do everything else on their own. If that may, hopefully what I'm saying has made sense with that. So I'm going to leave the episode there. I've got to get to a client session, but I really hope this helps you guys in terms of reducing as much trauma, depression, anxiety, ADHD, you know, um, triggers, projection, anger issues, all that kind of stuff, um, for your children, because it's all connected. And I cannot urge you enough to please ensure that your kids are eating healthy food and pre-pregnancy during pregnancy as much as you can. I know in first trimester, it can be a bit of a shamble for some people, but you know, you also need to be eating healthy because it is going to affect your gut microbiome, which is going to affect your child's microbiome in the womb and therefore their whole life. And that's going to affect their gut health, therefore their anxiety, their depression, their sugar addiction, the ADHD, all those kind of things, like it does get passed on. And you have such an ability to heavily change your child's um, future just by doing work on you. Like do not underestimate that. So that is the episode for today. I hope that you guys loved it. Please make sure that you tag me on Instagram, Monarchy Hates Health and Feminine as Fuck Without the U. So it's F-C-K at the end. 
so that I can repost it. I really appreciate when you guys share it. It's a little value exchange that goes a very, very long way. Um, especially with this episode, I know there are so many people that will feel very empowered and supported and like they have a bunch of things they can start implementing and doing from this episode. So I would really appreciate if you guys, um, did this one with me and obviously for anybody that wants to clear their trauma so that are passed it onto their kids, you've got plenty of options with me. Queen Alchemy, obviously my three-day immersions, one-on-one work as well. They're all there for you. If you have any questions, want to know what's the best option for you, just shoot an email to support at monarchygateshealth.com and then my team will forward it to me on what you want to work on, issues, all that kind of stuff. The email will get forwarded and then I'll reply, letting you know the best thing to be doing. Have a lovely rest of your day, everybody, and I will talk to you on the next episode.